0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we've got some film news from the Taipei Film Festival. The Mole Song movie from Takeshi Miike is going to be getting a sequel to be set in Hong Kong. And we're going to talk a little bit about the movie 3 later, but there's also a documentary about the movie that's out now and available online. So all of that, and we'll be talking about the latest Johnny Toe film, 3, on this episode. to another episode of east screen west screen this is the show where we talk about film from hong kong to hollywood and some other stuff in between i'm your host paul fox and coming to us from his news desk inside a hospital lobby is mr kevin ma
1: hello everybody hey there paul how are you doing okay how are you doing sir i'm all right you know really 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 busy lately but um otherwise still trying to keep myself afloat
0: Yes, indeed, plugging along. Um, a couple, you know, film festivals and things coming up in the not too distant future, right? I think uh, is uh, the Busan coming up soon, or um, some other film festivals. Note, like Toronto's in a month or two, right?
1: Well, you got immediately in Hong Kong. We have the Summer International Film Festival coming up next month. Then the end of next month is also Venice. Uh, Right after Venice is Toronto, right after Toronto is Busan, if it's still happening. By the way, Busan's having a major crisis right now, um, and it's still kind of unsure whether it'll happen this year. And right after that, you got Tokyo. So, yeah, we're stepping right into the fall festival season, especially big in the West, because um, Venice, Toronto, Telluride, those are the three big sort of festivals that that are introducing this year's uh, Oscar contenders. Mm, Yes.
0: Now, will you be hopping over to see any of these or...?
1: No, no 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 i wish i wish um i might travel to tokyo just for myself just for fun um but otherwise um i don't see myself going to any of the uh the festivals this year like i said busan's in, in real danger and and um tokyo it would just be for a couple of days and actually just watching films on my own not for any kind of work yeah
0: yeah you can't get to cathay pacific to comp you some uh, tickets to toronto or anything
1: no, I mean, no. those are only for work, but, you know, by the time, the thing about the nature of magazine is that when you write magazines, you're writing three months ahead of time. So, for right. example, if I want to write an article that comes out in time for Tokyo, that means I actually got to start writing right now. And that means by the time the article comes out, there's no point in me going to the festival anymore since I've already right. written about it.
0: Right, right. It's uh, magazine time. It's a very different beast, I guess, right?
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to be talking about uh, Johnny Toe's latest film, 3, in just a bit. But before we get into that, let's get into our news for this week. So I'll throw the talking stick back over to Kevin at the news desk.
1: And over here at the news desk, a couple of news, uh, very short news, um, not a very big week. But anyway, the Taipei Film Festival wrapped up um, this weekend. Um, and, uh, I went there last year and I think it's actually one of the sort of, I don't want to say like, I don't want to use like a cliche, but it's one of the sort of best, maybe best film festivals that you don't know about yet in Asia. Um, it, it shows, it showcases a lot of uh, Taiwanese films, smaller Taiwanese films um and it showcases a lot of sort of independent more artsy films for the local audiences uh but anyway they, they also it's also a very very um long festival running about three weeks and it ends um and ends with a pretty major award ceremony um on the very last day um anyway so so the um awards just came out uh this uh past weekend and um a um taiwanese film about aboriginals. Um, won five prizes, a total of five prizes, which is really huge. Um, and the film um, is a drama call. And I don't know. Do you watch a lot of Taiwan? You don't watch a lot of Taiwanese films, right, Paul?
0: No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't see many. In fact, what was the big two-parter that uh, was um, all all around on the international circuit some years back? Siddiqui Bali. Siddiqui Bali, yeah. See, I haven't even seen that yet. Uh, I, I've seen a couple. Like, I saw the... What was the what we talked about before a rooftop right? The Jay Chow, um, right kind of musical montage piece, and uh, manga, and, and a couple of others, um, but uh, some of them just uh, slip by, and I just you know never get around to seeing them.
1: Yeah, but that's a that's a really long film, so it's okay. <laughs> anyway, the the one that the one that won the big prize is a uh, an Aboriginal film called Lokalaki. Or I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's, uh, it's done. It's actually in uh, uh, Aboriginal language, I suppose. It is a second film by Laha Mebal, which is a uh, who is a Taran Aborig- Aboriginal, um, and uh, the film won a total of five awards, including Best Picture, um, Best Director, Best. Um, new Actor, the entire children's crew won Best Actor. Um, sorry, okay, so, so it won a Top award, War, which, which is a million Taiwanese, New Taiwan Dollars, Best Film in the Drama category, as in the Dramatic Feature category, Best Editing, Best Director, and Best New Actors for the entire um, uh, cast of kids. So um, this is actually like a big, pretty big deal because last year's uh, winner... Uh, thanatos Drunk went, went on and, and won a bunch of good, uh, got nominated for a bunch of Golden Horse Awards um, and sort of saw a lot of critical acclaim that Taiwanese films don't see outside of uh, directors whose name starts with whole <laughs> um, so so, so it was a, it, it's a pretty big deal um, I haven't seen the film yet it is coming out on DVD um, at the end of the month I think August 5th uh, from Taiwan um, and with all these sort of awards, I guess there are a lot more attention uh, to the film now. The film was actually theatrically re- released theatrically back in March and didn't get a lot of attention. Um, the thing about Taiwan, uh, Taiwan, the Taipei Film Festival Awards is that they nominate a number of films um, that have been re- released um, in that year. So you would see films that were released like last year, late last year, or even early this year, films that have been already released, and suddenly you would get nominations which i always found a bit confounding but anyway it is a good chance for people to sort of catch films or, or pay attention to films that they missed over the year and this is certainly the case here uh Loke lucky uh winning uh, multiple awards and word is that um the the distributor over in taiwan is planning a direct distribution deal here in hong kong in september so i'm really looking forward to uh seeing this film um in addition to to this film um there's also uh a film worth checking out, I guess, it worth, well, two more awards worth mentioning is the Audience Award of the festival went to Tenants Downstairs, uh, a, a new thriller um, that's uh, written by Giddens, the author who also wrote You're at the Apple of My Eye. Well, he also directed it, but he didn't direct this film. He did write the script for this film. Uh, the film stars Simon Yam, and it's a, it's a, it seems to be a little uh, tense, little psycho thriller that's coming out uh, day and date with Taiwan here mid August. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But the media award winners uh, should be interesting. It is actually a two-hour documentary made for Taiwan Public Television called A Taste of Apple, or The Taste of Apple. Um, It's actually a documentary that sort of chronicles the history of Apple Daily in Taiwan. um, Apple Daily be quite notorious for not only um, sort of starting sort of paparazzi fever among the entertainment news, but also in political news. So bringing that paparazzi-style tabloid uh, uh, news reporting to the political world and to current events. Um, and, and even though it was made with um, total assistance, essentially, from Apple Daily, it seems to be quite balanced. I, just, I watched about 15 minutes of it because the whole thing is already online, uh, only Chinese subtitles, unfortunately. Um, it, it looks like quite a... Um, I wouldn't say damning, but it looks it's a pretty comprehensive expose of sort of what has Apple Daily done in Taiwan or what has it done to Taiwan uh, journalism, both good and bad, sort of the, the scandals that it created, the legal troubles that it got into by, by you know, using their methods and, and some of the good they've done. And, and I think it, it looks like a really interesting documentary. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so some interesting uh, films coming out of the festival.
0: Well, we'll have to keep our eyes open for them. Do eh? you think uh, the Apple Daily one's going to make it over here?
1: It's already online. The entire film's already on YouTube. Actually, uh, you could watch it for free, completely legal, because it was made by public uh, public television. So, so um, um, the whole thing's online. Unfortunately, it's just not subtitled in English. That's the only problem. Yeah,
0: you, uh, you know, you would think with the uh, with the predominance of uh, Apple Daily that uh, they would. Maybe have some local screenings or uh, something uh, beyond just, you know, the YouTube platform. Uh, but, you know, if it's there, I guess, uh, if people are really interested, they can track it down and
1: try and watch it. Well, it's mainly online because it is a paid for by public television. So the public television um uh, uh, station uploaded the entire thing on youtube it's all legal but yeah it is i guess they didn't find any sort of obligation or need to subtitle it for anyone outside the country which is a bit odd I, i'm hoping that they did uh uh um or they did they did do or distributor or the sales station did do english subtitles on these things um and it will make it over here because um it's quite fascinating the actual apple daily's history in taiwan is really fascinating
0: and it you know it's interesting too cuz some of their it's not directly apple daily it's part of the you know the the, the group they make their animated segments for some of the more fantastical stories and yes lot, next,
1: next animation is yeah. an offshoot of uh next media yeah yeah
0: and a, but a lot of those end up getting sort of fan subtitled um in english on the interwebs and getting you know shared around so
1: Oh no no those actually Nick's animation. Um, uh, very soon after they they sort of became viral, they started their um off, English offshoot. They they sell, they have subscribers, they do oh, all okay. the English version themselves. They were actually hiring um uh, for news writers and editors, and I, I even thought about applying ones. Oh wow, but, I see.
0: Uh, I I thought that uh, the ones that came across my feed, I thought those were just like done by. As sort of fan subs. That's interesting.
1: No, the uh, the the foreign uh, the foreign language or the English language uh, side of the of of Nick's Nick's animation is called Tomo News. So, but uh, they're all done out of the same studio by the by the same company, mm. but different uh, staff of different languages. In fact, remember the um there was a viral video of a woman who did a dance um for her, for when she quit her job. I don't know if you remember this. Did it to a Kanye West song. Definitely, um, yeah she was an, uh, a writer at, at Tomo News or Next, next Animation. Oh, okay. So it was shot in Next Animation. She was quitting Next Animation.
0: I see, I see. That's probably good you didn't join this <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Alright, well, let's move on and talk about uh, some news about the Japanese sequel to the Mole Song.
1: Right. Uh, Takashi Mike, um man who makes like five movies a year. Uh, his next film will be a... Um, a sequel to the comedy the mo song which is one of, written by one of my favorite writers uh, kangoro kudo um and the sequel is coming out set for release in december 23rd so a lot a bit more details got revealed today uh that includes the title of the film and the title of the film like, there's no english title yet but essentially they revealed that the film would at least be partly set in hong kong in a fair city um so that's great the um the cast remains the same. Uh, Tomai people who you know, the main cast of the original film are is back. We have a couple more um, uh, famous actors, including Ada, um, and it seems like this part, least part of the story, will be set in Hong Kong. Um, I haven't heard anything about the shoot happening in Hong Kong, and yet the film's teaser is already out. So, and Japanese films tend to be completed quite early. Um, so, I'm guessing they're either shooting or they they have done shooting already. Either way, um, I haven't heard any plans to come to Hong Kong, which would be a big deal, you know, big Japanese film coming here to Hong Kong to shoot. Um, but anyway, it seems like uh, it was interesting because Kankuro Kudo, the writer, was in Hong Kong uh, back in March for the um, international premiere of his latest film, Too Young to Die. And I was there because that was the first time. I've seen people give a standing ovation to q and A Q&A guest. There are so many Kuro, Kuro fans in the house. Um, so, so I wondered if if his little trip to and and Kuro, Kuro doesn't base. I mean, the the Mo song itself, I think, is based on a comic book. But I think I'm not sure if the Hong Kong uh, storyline is based on anything. Um, and Kuro, Kuro is one of the few writers who can actually get by in the Japanese film industry with writing original material. So I wonder if um, his trip to Hong Kong uh, helped him uh, inspire him for for the sequel but um yeah no i i i, I love kanguro work the first film's a bit long it's it's it has its problems but um you know i anticipate any Kankurokudo kuro films with great you know excitement and uh let's see what takeshimike does in hong kong
0: yeah indeed very interesting um i don't know if this is gonna be, i haven't seen the original so i don't know if it's a it's a film for me or not i think the Uh, I'm I'm behind on Miike Films. The last one I saw was uh, Yatterman, which I loved. I know a lot of people were kind of down on that. I think he did a great uh, parody uh, and homage to the animation, uh, which I also liked. I have Ninja Kids on DVD sitting on my shelf. I just haven't popped it yet. Um, And I do want to see and try and get a hold of Ace Attorney because I loved the game series. Although I'm not sure the movie was all that well received, um, and I think we're supposed to get Terraformars theatrically here, right?
1: We did. I've already seen it. I even wrote oh, a review for it's Ross's website.
0: Been, it's already been released. Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. It came and went. I, uh... It came and went, and it was pretty crappy. The thing is, this is like you know the thing is, you can never be completely caught up with Miyazaki films because he makes so many of them. And in fact, that's one of the things I say about Terraformers is that you know what. It wasn't good. It was crap. But the thing about, you know, any any fans of Mikke would know that, look, there's another Mikke film coming down <laughs> a couple of months later anyway. So, and even Miki is like, yeah, I'm just going to finish my film, and move on to the next one. So, like, neither Miki nor his fans would care that he's made a crappy film because let's face it, this guy does not have a 1.0 batting average, right? Yeah. So, so in fact, I think his batting average is about as good as your your regular pitcher on a, an MLB team. Right, which I'm is sure. which is a pretty low batting average. So so um, yeah um um so it's okay. Don't don't worry about getting caught. But I do have a few of these Mickey films on DVD. Unfortunately, they're all from Taiwan, so they're all not subtitled in English, including the Moson, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's see how I can help you get get a hold of more Mickey films. But don't watch Yakuza Yakuza Apocalypse or shit. Oh crap, <laughs> it was um, crap. He yeah. <laughs> yeah, edited that out. <laughs> that's all
0: right <laughs> <laughs> all right and so yeah that's uh gonna wrap up our news over from japan so let's get back to hong kong for our final bit of news which is actually related to our film review for this week for johnny toes three and that's about the uh do- the documentary of the making of the film which is online and almost as long as the film itself well that, that's a bit of an exaggeration but about half as long right
1: that's right. Um, so a uh, couple of years ago, a, a young um, uh, film student named Ferris Lin did a feature-length documentary on on Johnny Toe called Boundless. Um, I thought it was okay, even though it is totally a fanboy documentary. Um, I know some people who actually dislike it even more for that very same reason. Um, but it is sort of an interesting way to see how this this really you know it almost notorious or infamous. Um, master uh, work on set, um, but anyway, Ferris Lin was brought on again for the making of Free. Um, the and he's made this 45-minute documentary about the making of the film. And um, the film or- originally had a few theatrical showings along with early screenings of Free um, here in Hong Kong, uh, just about a week before the film's opening. And now uh, Media Asia has been kind enough to actually upload the entire film uh, on YouTube with English subtitles. Um I was just watching a bit of it before we started recording because this literally just went online about an hour ago. So it's still quite new and, and I haven't had the had time to watch the entire thing yet. But um I watched it about a few minutes and especially um it's about Yao Naihoi writer and, and and uh and actually and pretty much announced and confirmed to be Milky Way's successor um after told you know. If he ever leaves the film world, uh, um, uh, Yao Naiho will be taking over. But anyway, uh, it shows a really fascinating and, and quite frustrating process uh, on how difficult it is to write for Johnny Toe. Because you see a lot of, you see a few scenes of Yonaiho actually arguing and trying to pitch his idea to Johnny Toe, and Johnny just sort of going, no. No, no, not really going to work. And and see this really fascinating um, uh, creative process between a director and pretty much a a guy that he, you know, Yonah has been around for Milky Way since 2000, like pretty much the beginning of Milky Way. So there's a guy who is pretty much dealing with a guy who's been working with for. Two, almost a decade and a half and still can't get his ideas like to him in a in a co- coherent ways almost trembling in 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 in, in Johnny toe's presence and it's really fascinating to see how difficult it is to work for Johnny Toe. there's a guy who refuses to have a script written before he shoots his films right who makes his actors wait around set the entire morning while the scriptwriters are still trying to churn out a piece of paper you know with with dialogue and and have 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 Johnny toe approve it and and um and I'll get I'll, and that kind of ties in with what I think about the film, but uh, we'll talk about that later. But a very very fascinating documentary for anyone who's actually interested in seeing how Johnny Toe works. Boundless was a bit too sort of broad in a way; you never really see enough of him on set. This fixes a lot of problems, including you know Johnny Toe's really terrible t- and notorious bad temper. So uh, yeah, I quite look forward to watching the rest of it.
0: All right, so you can check that out, and uh, as Kevin said, English subtitles, so it's a win-win if you're uh, not up on your Cantonese or Chinese. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for our news. We're going to take a short musical break, and we'll be back to talk about this week's film, and that is Johnny Toes 3. And we're back. Our film this week, as we said, Johnny Toes 3, the story when a police unit led by Inspector Chan, played by Louis Ku, brings a violent gangster named Shun, played by Wallace Chung Hon Lung, to the hospital with a gunshot wound to the head. Dr. Chen, played by Vicky Zhao Wei, is torn between her oath to do no harm and the idea of helping someone who has potentially harmed other innocents and may continue to do so. Compounding her dilemma is the fact that Inspector Chan doesn't seem to be doing things totally by the book, and she's equally haunted by her own encroaching self-doubt in her medical abilities. So this, surprisingly, uh, was a very short movie. I went in not really realizing uh, what the actual time length was. I sort of, around this period of time, because we're in the midst still of summer movies, anything I go... And sit in watch the cinema. I'm expecting at least like a close to 120 minute running time. So when the credits suddenly popped up and I looked at my watch, I was like, "What? That's it? It's over?" Um, so according to the movie sites that I've looked at, this has a running time of, of 88 minutes, which is, I guess, around two minutes shy of the um, of the uh, 90 minute uh, ideal, you know, hour and a half margin length right Um, but with this movie I had to ask the question to myself upon walking out maybe it wasn't short enough. actually (laughs) Um, the film of course is a Johnny Toe film it is well crafted technically but to me it seems that it really just has one key idea in mind this sort of climactic visual sequence that they build to um, in the final act and it seems like that is the whole reason for the rest of the film to exist, just to get to this sort of fancy visual scene. And it reminds me of a sequence that I saw um, online and shared on social media, a short, like, um, visual sequence of a sort of cops and robbers. It looked like it was taking place in um, in Gotham, um, you know, I think it was from a video game. It had all these robbers in sort of Joker-esque type clown masks. And there was like assault police trying to take them down. And the whole thing was a single sort of pan through the, 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 the whole action sequence. And I'm sure some of you out there have probably seen it. You probably know the game that it's from. The uh, But the, the, this scene felt very much like a kind... It wasn't exactly that. It was a kind of a play on that it's sort of a long sort of drawn out action shot that looks like it's done in one take although i don't think it is done in one take they're using a pretty interesting sort of weird kind of um, skewed camera sense too so it's not just your standard um, matrix style bullet time stuff that's going on they actually are playing with timing and effects and the effect is pretty interesting I just didn't think that the rest of the movie was all that interesting to get there. Um, There are many Johnny Toe regulars here, Um, you know, so there's lots of regular faces that you've seen in previous films and you're going to see here. Some of them feel a bit redundant. I mean, Lam Schutt, who plays one of the police officers working under Louis Koo, he's playing his bumbly, kind of brainless character. We've seen that character before uh kind of made me question was this a sequel, was he, you know, this a carryover character from, from a previous film. There's a really interesting movie at the core that's buried here. If you take that sort of fancy technical scene out, um the movie is really about the dynamic between the three main characters, there's Louis Koo, um Vicky Zhao as the doctor, and Wallace Chung as the 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 villain. And it gets into this idea of, all right, a doctor's oath to save somebody, uh, the villain kind of knowing that he can play on the doctor's oath, and then the cop who's trying to, you know, basically bring him to justice, even if he breaks the law to do so. So that dynamic, I think, there's a better story buried in here that kind of got pushed to the side. And maybe this plays back to some of the things Kevin was talking about with regard to the way that, um, you know, Johnny Toe approaches writing and and writers and dealing with them. Um, So I think that that interesting movie, there are glimpses of it, but for the most part it gets suppressed by um, just familiar territory of happenstance, you know, these sort of, quirky coincidental things that happen Um, the one thing that they didn't do that surprised me was basically it start the movie starts from the um, villain character uh, shun being brought in with this gunshot wound to the head and over time you slowly get bits and pieces of something that went down they never actually go through and show flashbacks which i think is great because you know that's a, a technique that i think far too many films rely on so the audience gets to piece some things together, but you never really get all of the information, so it leaves you, you know, guessing about some things, which I think is a, is, is is a good technique um, to let the audience fill in some of the blanks. But that power struggle between these three characters, uh, I just wanted to see see more of that rather than some of the other stuff they end up, you know, you know, going on with some of the regulars. Um, there's there's a there's this whole sequence with a key. That ends up happening that you know it's kind of like well what if that particular thing didn't happen what if that particular character didn't just happen to drop that key at that very moment within reach you know, of that character but you know this kind of stuff i think gets overplayed and it overshadows um you know some of some of the more interesting aspects that they could have developed um <clears throat> and i wasn't really sure who i was supposed to like uh because you have these sort of three ideological characters. It, by the end of the film, I kind of felt that they were pushing in the direction of Louis Ku a little bit because they kind of just do a sudden, uh, almost uh, karmic shift. And I say karmic because there's, a part in part, they play this song about Buddhism or Buddha at some point. Um, I, I had difficulty keeping up with some of the lyrics, but it, I picked up on some of them. And... It, I don't know. It, was, it just came across as a little bit weird and sudden. So I wasn't sure who I didn't like. I, I didn't really care for Lewis. He had, you know, issues. He becomes a kind of a Superman character by the end, not in terms of his own beliefs, but basically uh, his ability to withstand punishment and do some pretty heroic things. Um, the uh, the villain character played by Wallace Chung. I think he was too young. So I think he was miscast. Um, he was too young, too cocky, and too smart for the, the age that he was playing. It, it just, it, it, his character didn't gel. If he would have been a somebody older, you know, more wise, I, I think that it would have been more believable. Um, and then at a certain point, once the stuff kind of hits the fan, because I, I wasn't sure, you know, they, they never really play off the idea that you know, anybody's overtly bad or overtly good until certain things kick into gear and the action starts. And then you're like, okay, well, they just kind of, they 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 pushed me into a corner that maybe I wouldn't have gone to had they made these characters a little bit more um, nuanced, I guess. So um, the big downer for me, though, I think, really for the whole film that really just brought the film down was Vicky Tzoe. I'm not a huge Vicky Zhou fan. I do like her in a few roles, but a lot of her roles, she just comes off as very flat for me. And here, I think she was about as interesting as a full bedpan. She really just mopes around through scene to scene, cries her way in a couple scenes. Um, She's dubbed, and yet the narrative claims that she worked hard to learn Cantonese, you know, to be able to get to where she is as a doctor in Hong Kong, apparently. I just think uh, really you're going to make that a central dialogue point that she's got good Cantonese, yet you're going to dub the actress who's obviously not speaking Cantonese. Why not just get an actress who can pull that off? I, it, it, it's Again, it's it's a technical point, but it's also a point in the nerve that just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel natural in, in that sense. Um so I you know, I was trying to think, who could have maybe pulled that off, maybe Tang Wei or Sammy, but they're maybe too young because I know that they were trying to make this doctor a little bit more mature, but um i just uh, I just don't think she she did it i I didn't feel any sympathy for her. She's a terrible doctor. Um, you know, literally a a patient at one point falls down the stairs and has a better outcome than when she treats people. It's just that kind of stuff that, you know, makes you really think about, um, you know, are you supposed to root for this character or not? And then then something happens at the ending that just makes me go, what is this? <laughs> what is the point of this movie? I'm not sure. Um, the, the one character that I did write like was actually one of the minor supporting characters, um, a small performance by uh, usually a TVB actor, Chang-Hua Kang. Um, And he has a brief storyline. He's in the hospital for treatment with his wife. And um, uh, just a a small moment. I I just kind of liked the nuance between him and his wife and the the thing that they're going through. Um, Again, it's a very minor thing. But I just stuff like that felt a little bit more nuanced and genuine to me than the rest of the film, which, again, was just kind of a putting... The pieces in place to get to this event that that ultimately happens, um, and, and really once it happens, I you know it's supposed to shake the foundations of the doctor and her beliefs and and her system because it's like you know, it, it's a big sort of not not blockbuster esque type of, type of thing, but you know somewhere along those lines, and uh, if you're an action fan, you know you you'll be somewhat pleased, I guess. So. I'd say the the film is worth seeing really just for that visual sequence more than anything else. Um, The rest of it, as I said, just kind of an excuse to get there. And um, even getting there, I mean, really, once they get there, I was just thinking, what is this? This is like a, a version of a Western, you know, a famous Western that we've seen before. And the villains themselves, that was their plan. You know they were just gonna like run in and and that that's it. It, it just left me scratching my head, um, thinking that it really doesn't. It's got some smart ideas, but the again the, the motivations of things that are happening, characters, uh, things that are going on, just didn't seem all that smart. So um, maybe I'm just in a place in my life where, and doctor and director Toe is in a place in his life where he's directing films that particularly don't necessarily appeal to me as much as his stuff from the 80s and 90s, which I still passionately love uh, a lot of his titles from that, that era. As I looked over his, you know, filmography of late, and uh, let me pull it up here, uh, you know, last year we had The Office, which I thought eh, it was okay as, as an experiment, Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2, which uh, did go breaking my heart. Um, Blind Detective, before that in 2013, which I kind of liked. Um, drug War, which remains a sort of a point of contention between me and Kevin. We won't get back into that debate. Uh, romancing the <laughs> Air, which I thought was uh, just kind of meh compared with some of his earlier uh, romantic comedies. Uh, I did like the original Don't Go Breaking My Heart, though. And Life Without Principle, which I thought was, was excellent. But also a film like this film that, you know, uses... Um, storylines and happenstance, but I think it does so in a much more provocative and, and interesting way than this film does. Um, I also see that he's got a couple films listed, something called The Old Guy that's listed as this year, but we I, we haven't gotten it or listed as last year, but we haven't even gotten it as far as I know with Lao Ching Wan and there's an Election 3 um, slated with Andy Lau I don't know. Uh, do you know anything about those Kevin? Are those... Uh,
1: what?! Wait, yeah, what? This
0: is on this is on HKMDB. Election. Don't believe that.
1: <laughs> Sorry, sir. don't believe that crap. I mean, seriously, online uh, these fanboys will pass any anything that they read online. Trust me, Johnny Toe is not working on Election Three Andy Lau. There's no such thing. Seriously. Okay. Well. Okay, he's mentioned Election Three, but he's talked about Election Three for years. Um, um, as far as I know, I, I'm sure Milky Way is working on a few projects. I know of one that. I've signed an NDA and I can't talk about. Mm. (laughs) But we'll talk about this after we we turn off the recording. But there, I know that uh, uh, Johnny told the company that that finances as Johnny Toe's films now, Hyrule, they we, they announced a couple of projects, including a really big-budget fantasy epic written by White Cow mm. which I guess assumes answers where White Cow has been. But there are also um, um, a few other projects. But none of those Election Free, which, yes, he's talked about for years. And and as Johnny Toe always does, talks about things for years and never does them. So, um, th- yeah, don't worry. Milky Way is definitely active. And like I said, Yonai Ho, he is the sort of the new... The successor of Milky Way, and, and he's just getting started. Mm. Oh, well, uh,
0: it will be. It would be great to see an election three with Andy Lau, though. I will say that, um, <laughs> even if it's just a pipe dream. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. This is a film to kind of see. It's short. It's pretty easy to get through. Um, but for me, it was no real great shakes. Uh, musical note though, Evan Wong does sing the theme song that they end up running in the latter part of the credits. Um, So if you're an Wong fan, yeah, you can stick through the credits. There was no end credit scenes or anything like that, but uh, I stuck through just to listen to the song. Kevin, let us know how good this film was for you.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, on a superficial note, I'll offer some of my take on it, and I'll give you actually some other interpretations of the film that has come out. Um, And I think it might fill in a couple of blanks for you, uh, Paul. First of all, I, I think that the film... Uh, for 65 minutes or so actually excellent um, and, and excellent in that real superficial stylistic way um, yes I know you would never put a a, a a criminal suspect in a room full of other patients let's face it in real world they we would not get he would not be in that huge um, uh, patients uh, ward uh, in the real world but anyway let's forget that for a second but I think that Johnny Toe was really great at racking up tension um, the way that uh, he sort of sort of um, uses visuals and and builds up the ed- you know the editing he has a great editing editor in uh, Dave Richardson and the way he builds up these these character dynamics visually it's, it's extremely he makes it look so easy you know the thing is his writer is working really hard right trying to build up make this uh, Wallace Chung character you know look really intellectual and throwing out all kinds of crow you know uh, Bertrand Russell and you got the hypocrites Oath and all that crap and and um, and he just sort of makes everything look easy. It's great. On a visual in a visual sense, I mean, this is like this Johnny Toad doing his thing and he's having fun doing it. And he's sort of fell falling in love with shooting indoors. Um, which he did with office and he's doing again here is a completely controlled environment, which I think is quite interesting. He sort of get get he sort of had this little playground for him to work with, right? He's like a little kid, you know. Outdoors, you don't quite get that sort of comfort indoors, he's just going nuts with with cranes and jibs and stuff like that. Um um, the three characters, the dynamic, I like Vicky Zhao more than you did. I think the character is quite interesting. The the sort of arrogant doctor who can't sort of put away professional pride, and I thought it's a really interesting dynamic between the three people. You got the cop, you got the, uh, pretty much the center is like a trinity of drama right there, right trinity of conflict uh, on a script level was quite interesting. Um, but I thought the action wasn't really that, once they started blowing stuff up, I, I thought it was sort of like, they were looking for an ending and it's like, let's just wrap this thing up and, and wrap it up. And, and it sort of fell flat for me. Uh, even the really bravado could have one take. I thought at the beginning when I saw, it, I was like, this is CGI, right? I mean, the big shot, I mean, it might as well just, it's not really a spoiler. There's a very impressive single long take in the film. Um, but I don't think was, it's,
0: I don't think it's a true long take. I think it's, a, oh, it's illusory, oh, right? No, no, you know the, what? Cause they've got, they've got like, a lot of actors like up in the air and
1: odd positions and no and... no 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 paul if you look at the doc actually i i suspected that it was cgi but it was actually done completely in slow motion all in one take um even the wires were digitally removed so the people were actually in the air and the entire thing was done one take if you look at the documentary i just sort of scanned through while you were talking sorry uh silent and i just got to the part where we talk about the one take these people rehearsed for two months with stage actors and people, who love coaches, and they actually rehearsed it multiple times, everyone moved in slow motion while the entire crew would lift walls and move windows away while they do a single long take with everyone moving in slow motion. Mm. It is a really, I mean, the thing is, the problem is, yes, it came out looking like a CGI because they had to do, they ramp things up. Uh, uh, to make it you know make it move a little faster to to sort of mess with people's movement speed, but the entire thing is actually done in real slow motion and it's actually a real long take. Um, and as impressive as that sounds, um, to me it didn't quite come out right. It you know you got you got you know really brilliant long take with um uh, the opening of breaking news right. That's really brilliant. That's real life you know in real time. A long take done in um, with a single crane moving around a single block and that's really impressive but when he's doing it in a room like that and the way that he did it with everyone going slow motion it's not as impressive as it sounds because of the way it's presented in the end but actually the making of that shot is much more is much more astonishing as the actual final product. And that's why I think when I you see my Twitter I say it's a it's a thing of imperfect beauty because in in actuality it could have been really, really brilliant stuff, right? But um like for example, it would be something like actual the camera move in real time while everyone's moving in slow motion, that kind of stuff. That would have been amazing. But um but no, it, it's sort of I think Johnny Toe sort of overcomplicated things. But they did uh, kind of they did
0: kind of get an effect of that, because again, there it's not just true slow motion they're they're somehow playing with the speed of the actors in some ways digitally that it makes it look like in a few in a few sequences that some of the actors are not actually moving at normal speed right so it gives you this weird off sense of timing that you would see in a like a bullet time a standard sort of bullet time shot
1: right right um it's it comes up yeah because you you have like lewis walking at normal speed and then someone would would be in the air um falling in slow motion and um no and i'm not quite sure how he envisioned the uh final shot to be so the whole thing was kind of a bit odd especially the camera movement you know um i think they sort of did the the crane was almost too smooth, I'm not sure, but like I said they, they, they sort of sped up certain certain sections of it of the shot to make it go smoother or to make it look more lifelike, I guess. but it's a, it's a very complex shot, actually it's very very complex. like I said, watch the documentary the, about the very last 10 minutes of the film, uh, the documentary covers the, the making of the shot uh, and it's a really fascinating to watch to see how they actually pull it off in real time. but um, the whole action stuff to me didn't quite. Uh, work, I thought it it sort of was too simple. The ending of it, um, and and the idea of of the very very end, it's just sort of the co production complex, right? That let's face it. But anyway, sort of filling up the blanks. Um, um, there there is actually sort of deeper reading of the film. Um, by local critic Ernest Chan, he wrote a piece, uh, for uh, local media, and he sort of um decodes the film a little bit. First of all, well, actually, first, I, I'm I'm surprised no one mentioned help. Help was the last film that Johnny Toe did that set almost completely in the hospital, and I thought that was better than this one. But yes. anyway, and, yeah. and I thought that one, and I thought, and me and, you know, friend of the show, Ross, Ross Shannon of Film.com, we all we both agree that this this film could have used sort of a, a white cow fight touch to it. Mm-hmm. I thought you could use a little more dark comedy. I think they were really trying for it with the side characters, the lampshade character, or the other patients, and stuff like that. But I thought you could have used that extra sort of offbeat humor but anyway the film um it's a very interesting reading of the film i think the three characters um first of all and 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 i think it's completely right in terms of these three characters you have um three people who can't really do their jobs or two people who can't really do their jobs you have a doctor who can't he who can't heal anyone uh you have a cop who says he's breaking the law to to enforce the law and then you have um and then you have a criminal who has a bullet in his brain, who refuses to have his brain, and who's the most educated, he's the most intellectual one in the entire, these three people. Um, and, uh, so first of all, the cop, actually, Louis Ku uh, Louis character is easy to read. He is the modern Hong Kong police, right? Breaking the law to to enforce the law. But, you know, the thing is, imperfect police or dirty cops or cops who don't play by the rules that's johnny toasting that has always done this so let's take out let's let's play you know give him benefit of doubt and and make it sort of his usual sort of motif all right let's let's not even play politics in this okay um you have a you have a, a, a like you were saying earlier Vicky uh, Zhao plays a, a doctor who, uh, an immigrant actually, an immigrant from China who came to Hong Kong and learned Cantonese. First of all, I, her casting is because of the co production agreement. You have to have a Chinese lead. lead to leave from mainland China, and I guess Gao Yuan wasn't free, or Gao Yuan, or Vicky Zhao was a bigger name. She, she does get more money in China. So that's probably a commercial decision and also a co production decision to get Vicky Zhao. Uh, they had to get a Chinese actor. Um, um, and her character essentially represents what what the Chinese state media has called New Hong Kongers, New Hong Kongers. Uh, people come down and, and essentially take advantage of the Hong Kong system. And she, you know, she learns Cantonese and tries to become part of Hong Kong. But then it sort of made her more arrogant and sort of made her, her pride and a lot of pride and, and sort of um, um, self-confident almost to the point where she can't look past her mistakes or look past her identity. Right. And then you have um, a criminal, a so-called criminal who is who has a bullet in his brain but won't get operated on because he refuses to let his brain be in the hands of of, of other people. So he, he keeps his mind clear. Um, and he's the intellectual one. He is the most intellectual one of the the, the three characters. Um, so there's a chance that he could be representing the so-called you know criminals. What the older generation would see as criminal, the student activists, right? Uh, so it's a very interesting. So and Victoria and the hospital is called Victoria Hospital. Um, so in a way, the hospital could represent Hong Kong. The three characters represent different sectors of sort of contemporary Hong Kong. It's the the sort of um, antagonistic part aspects or elements of hong kong society at the moment which is the law enforcer the the people from china new immigrants and the students who are labeled as criminals and in that in that sense i think a triangle is a very interesting um uh dynamic here if, if that is uh what the writer and johnny told were we trying to do now about the song the avana song is actually a cover song um uh by Lo Taiyou. Lo Taiyou is uh, a Taiwanese musician, and uh, he actually wrote the music for Office, so you have the connection there. And the name of the song is called zhi hu zhi ye, Um, which actually uh, I read from Wikipedia. It consists of a meaningless phrase made solely of four grammatical Chinese particles from classical Chinese. The phrase functions as an adjective. If someone's Chinese is 只乎之也, it means it is stale and archaic. Um, the, this version actually had is lyrics uh, changed a little bit? Uh, one of the lines says, um, "Look now, look at what our our, our unit is saying. Uh, why, ladies in the end, you have to ask why they did what they did, or why the, they did it the way they did, why they do the things they did." Um, so it's very interesting that that the song is in there in this sort of period, and you have these this character dynamic, and it's all kind of open to interpretation. Um, in one way, you could talk about, you know, people, free people who aren't doing their jobs, about what Hong Kong is doing, what their identities, essentially what fit into their roles. Uh, for example, a doctor isn't healing, uh, a cop who isn't who isn't really, I don't want to say copping, but no, a, a cop who isn't enforcing <laughs> the law, who is breaking the law, uh, a criminal who, who actually didn't break the law, who was who was actually why he got there. It was a bit of a spoiler, but the way he got there, um, he was kind of set up Um so, so it's is interesting, uh, interesting dynamic and in a way sort of talking about contemporary Hong Kong in more complex ways than, than I can go into at this moment without writing some sort of thing in advance to, to talk about. So it's a very interesting reading of the film. Um, for me, I thought it was sort of a light stylistic exercise. It is their 25th anniversary, so I thought, oh, Johnny Tung wants to do you know a, a mixtape of sort of greatest hits, right? But um, it seems to be a little more than that, and I think that's quite interesting and something that um, that could be open to interpretation, I think.
0: You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit congcast.com for more. Alright, you have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jeboer of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of support from listeners like you. If you'd like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. dot twitter.com slash at Concast. And you can check us out on email if you'd like to Leave us some feedback there. You can uh, write to us at eastscreen at com, And we are over on the Facebook as well, East S, West S. Please do follow along with Kevin and what he's doing and the writing that he's doing. You can do so. You don't even have to subscribe or uh, actually you have to subscribe, but you don't have to pay for the subscription. Ah, can't talk. <laughs> you don't have to pay for the subscription because, uh, you know, we live in this age of lots of free media, right? So where can they follow along with what you're doing, sir?
1: You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, at the Golden Rock. Um, you can see my monthly work on uh, Discovery Magazine. Uh, so, actually, you do have to pay. You want to fly Cathay Pacific, you want a physical copy of the magazine, you have to fly Cathay Pacific. So, um, uh, I am on Discovery Magazine, the entertainment section, um, which you could. Uh, and also on Silk Road, the Dragonair uh, or Cathay Dragon magazine. Or you could read the magazine um, without the movie listings, uh, my fantastically edited movie listings um, on on uh, the Discovery iPad app, which is exclusively available on the iPad, um, uh, on the Apple, sorry, App Store for the iPad. Uh, and um, yeah, you can email me at the at gmail.com
0: all right there you have it our next show episode 198 uh what do we have on the we've got a couple west screen films on the horizon both the ghostbusters remake and the uh third star trek reboot um series sequel in the jj verse as it's referred to uh do we have any local things coming out this week too
1: Man, we have a film called So I Married an Anti-Fan, but it's not really playing. There are not enough shows, so uh, I don't think we'll be able to catch that this weekend. And um, it's going to be hard to try to get me to actually go see that film. Mm. So I think next week we can talk about Star Trek. And I think it does count as Asian because it has an Asian director.
0: Yes, yeah, Dustin yeah. Lin. I am interested. I've I've not been a fan of the JJ verse but I am interested to see what he does with it. So um, I'll be definitely getting out to check that. So that, yeah, maybe we'll... Look at talking about that next week. And uh, and relevant to that, a uh, bit of news, maybe we can come back to. Netflix is going to be running the Star Trek TV show, apparently, uh, internationally uh, as the current news that I read today uh, has listed. Maybe we'll come back and talk a little bit about more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time, everybody. Park